0: I'm Dr. Robin Koslowitz, clinical psychologist, parenting educator, and post-traumatic parent. Welcome to the Post-Traumatic Parenting Podcast, where we learn to provide our children with a healthy childhood, even if ours was anything but. Or maybe we had a wonderful childhood, but recent events in our lives have left us reeling. Let's face it, after 2020, we're all post-traumatic parents now. Welcome!
1: Today, I'm talking to Dr. Moira Mikolajak. She is a professor of emotion and health psychology at the University of Louvain in Belgium. Like us, she's a post-traumatic parent. Professor Mikolajak studies how emotional competence influences health. She's best known for her groundbreaking research on parental burnout with her collaborator, Isabel Roskam. They discovered that the same factors underlying occupational burnout can be mapped onto parenting with some crucial differences. This research gives a voice to something many parents know instinctively. Parenting can burn us out, and that can have serious implications for ourselves and for our kids. For a link to my many Psychology Today blog posts about Dr. McCullough Jack's disruptive research, see the show notes. Dr. McCullough Jack, welcome to the Post Traumatic Parenting Podcast. It's an honor to speak with you. I think my first question has to be, what is parental burnout? i really like to
0: know how a parent can know that they're experiencing parental burnout and how they know that it's different from depression. Like if a parent goes into a doctor and hears they're depressed, how do they know that it's not depression, but it's rather burnout?
2: I'll first explain you the symptoms of parental burnout and then explain you uh, how it differs from depression. So basically, there are four main symptoms of parental burnout. And they come in stages. So, of course, you don't fall into parental burnout like you would fall into a a hole. Uh, It's a process. So the first symptom, which is also the first stage, is exhaustion. So the parent feels overwhelmed by parenting. He feels completely exhausted. And the mere thought of what he or she has to do for or with his or her children is just too much. So this... Exhaustion is both emotional and physical. Then, as a way to protect oneself and to save the little energy the parent has left, the parent will start to distance himself or herself from the children. So there will be this emotional distancing. The the third phase, which is also the third symptom, is a loss of pleasure, a loss of fulfillment in parenting. Basically, the parent is just fed up with parenting he or she does not enjoy anymore being with his children. So typically, a mother in burnout will say, I love to go and see my children sleep at night because this is the only moment when I can still feel the love I have for my children. Because when I'm with them, I cannot feel that anymore. I just feel fed up with with parenting with my children. And the last symptom results from the three first symptoms. It is the contrast that the parent feels between the parent he used to be and the parent he has become. So the parent basically does not recognize himself as a parent anymore. So that's the, the, the four symptoms. And as you can see, these symptoms are profoundly anchored in the parenting domain. And that is essentially what makes it different from depression. A depressed parent will lose pleasure, will lose energy in all domains of life. A burned out parent will feel exhausted and will experience the loss of pleasure in the parenting domain specifically. Okay? So Uh you can be in parental burnout and not in depression if you still feel enthusiastic at work if you still feel enthusiastic to go and see your friends or to, to, to do your, your, your hobby or whatever.
0: So I imagine so there's also a big moral component because parents are not supposed to be able to burn out, right? Like it's supposed to be that parenting is so rewarding, like intrinsically that we're supposed to be loving our children so much that somehow, you know, even their messes are enjoyable or endearing or cute, or even when they're talking back or being difficult or when there's multiple demands for multiple children, we're supposed to just enjoy it so much that when
2: we feel a sense of burnout, there's probably a tremendous sense of shame. Exactly. Parents in burnout feel totally uh, both ashamed and lonely and guilty. Ashamed, guilty, and lonely. And what you are talking about is precisely what makes parental burnout taboo. People don't um, dare to speak about it because, as you said, you are not supposed to feel that way. Your, your friends, your family would perfectly understand that you can feel totally fed up and exhausted by your work, but not mm-hmm. by your children. Or at least, I, I have the feeling that the COVID crisis has contributed to lift the veil uh, on parental burnout. But until a few weeks ago, it was still very taboo. Yes, I think that was one of my
0: questions. Do you think the whole COVID crisis has made it more acceptable for people to admit that they feel burnout and for us to even talk about it? You know, I think the first article I wrote about your research was called The Burnout We Can't Talk About Because of All of That Shame Around Parental Burnout. Do you think there's less shame now?
2: Well, from my personal perception, yes, I feel, I really feel that the COVID crisis has contributed to lift the veil uh, on these syndromes. And for some reason that I don't fully understand, suddenly it felt acceptable to say that one could be just fed up and sick and exhausted of one's children. In in Belgium and in France, it's a little bit different because um, my colleague, Isabelle Roskam, and I are living here. So there there were already a lot of press articles uh, about parental burnout. But in the UK, the US, and the world more broadly, the number of articles about parental burnout has really exploded during the COVID crisis. So as if suddenly it was more acceptable. Well, I think it's true that when you educate people about a construct, suddenly they notice that
0: construct. And before that, they just thought, oh, I'm just tired or, you know, it's so hard to be a working mother or a stay-at-home mother or all of these kind of things. And now all of a sudden when they're educated, it's like, oh, right, this is a thing. It's real, right? It's tremendous. Now, my own research and my own interest is in post-traumatic parenting, which is about how people who have had traumatic childhoods can give their children a normative childhood. So if you hear in that community, we have people who have very strong feelings about parenting. There's a lot of, I am going to parent my children differently, like it becomes a mission, right? Like I'm going to parent my children differently than I was parented, or I'm going to make sure that my children have different experiences than I had. Do you think parents in the post-traumatic community are more
2: likely to be susceptible to burnout? Definitely. Definitely. Because, of course, there are no, as I told you uh, via email, there there is no specific study linking specifically um, post-traumatic parenting and parental burnout. But we know from clinical experiences that parents who have had a very difficult childhood want to offer their children a different experience. Basically, they want to be the parent that, that they have not had And so these parents are usually what we are calling perfectionist parents. So parenting perfectionism is perfectionism that is specific to the parenting domain. Basically, you want to be the perfect parent. And if you have had a very difficult childhood experience with your children, you will want to be that perfect parent. And uh, parenting perfectionism has a very strong link with parental burnout. This has already been demonstrated in three independent studies. So it is clearly a recognized or acknowledged vulnerability factor for parental burnout.
0: Yeah. Do you think there are specific parenting styles that can lead to burnout more? Because, you know, there are parents who try to do things like, I'm thinking of like the extremes of attachment parenting, where they don't want to separate from their child for a second, or there are certain like, parenting domains where people feel like they, they need to have their children you know, fluent in three languages, or they have to make sure their children are getting like, a wealth of extracurricular experiences or things like that. Do you think those parents who are trying almost to use an external vision for their parenting can burn out faster because of perfectionism? Like, Is there a link or conceptually, is there a link?
2: Yeah, I think that there are many routes through which parenting perfectionism can increase parental burnout. Of course, the the extracurricular activities uh, route or the the, the standards that one parent may um, have for one's children's education. For instance, if my parents uh, have neglected me, have not provided me with any good education opportunity, I might strive to provide my children with the best education, not only at school, but also, as you said, in other uh, domains like music or sport or whatever. And so I might run from one extracurricular activity to the other and exhaust myself in this process. But things can also be subtler, I would say, if my parents have neglected me by not being attentive to my needs. And then the parent may strive to be at all times attuned to one's children's needs and totally forget oneself you know, always put your children before you, your children's needs before yours. And so basically it's like um, being a parent is like a sacrifice. And so this might also be a route for parental burnout because research shows that uh, parents who do not preserve time for themselves, so who do not preserve time for leisure or for the couple or for I don't know, things that replenish your resources as a parent are also much more likely to burn out. So parenting perfectionism can lead to parental burnout through various ways, I think. And these are not mutually exclusive. I, yeah, it makes
0: a lot of sense. I agree. And I feel like there's this idea. Um, I remember once hearing a lecture on parenting where the lecturer said, and I don't think it was anybody professional, but she said, what did you do to make a mother for your children today? Like that was her question to the women in the class, meaning in what way did you engage in some sort of a self-care activity that replenished your joy that wasn't like directly caring for your children? Like if you painted, then you were making a mother for your child. And I remember listening to that and thinking, you know, self-care is child care. Like people think like, oh, I'm taking time away from child care to engage in self-care. And what this lecturer was saying was, by engaging in self-care you are actually caring for your children like if you you know what everyone she went around the room and everyone said things and a lot of women didn't have something to say but you know even if it was like I sat on my porch and I drank a cup of coffee and I enjoyed the flowers that's what you did to make a mother for your children today and it was such a it was such an interesting reframe for me to hear it because I don't think it's ever been stated that way like you need to make a mother you know, and this was her, you know, way of reminding everyone in the class,
2: making a mother is just as important as caring for the children. Exactly. And this is exactly the, this, uh, the metaphor of the plane. You know, when there is a lack of oxygen, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then only on the child. Yeah. And many parents forget about that. They just feel guilty when they are doing something else, something for themselves. But, even more than what you said, I would say that it's not only desirable, it's totally crucial because our research shows that parental burnout leads to child neglect and to uh, violence against children. So by taking the time for yourself, by replenishing your resources, you prevent parental burnout and you prevent Being uh, neglectful or violent towards your children. So, taking time for oneself is indeed something you do for your children and not only for yourself. So, it's almost like you're saying, like, what trying to be too good as a parent makes you be not almost not good enough or even detrimental. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. This is exactly what our research suggests that parents who do too much for their children to the point that they exhaust themselves then become very bad parents. And uh, as you probably know, the the uh, psychoanalyst, Donald Winnicott, had already said like 70 years ago that perfect parents are toxic parents. And of course, he didn't meant it that way. I I mean, he did not meant it the way I, I do. But he already said that for a number of reasons, perfect parents are toxic parents. What he meant at the time was that if you are too perfect, there is no failings that your children can build on, because what he was saying is that children build themselves on the failings and weaknesses of their parents. So basically, you need imperfect parents to, to be a strong child and a strong adult. But even if we look at Winnicott in another way, this is still true. Right. I think he was having a, he was having
0: a, you know, a sense of what you have validated with actual empirical numbers, Partially from a metaphorical sense, we need our parents. We need our parents failings to teach us our values in life. This is how I want to be just like them. This is how I want to be different from them. But also from an empirical standpoint, he probably did see, you know, mothers who were overly involved in their children and he saw negative outcomes, probably both from the burned out mother and also for the child. So he, he was noticing something clinical. I'm curious, what are like the new, exciting developments in your field? Like if you had an unlimited research budget, where would you go with this?
2: (laughs) That's a very difficult question because there are so many things that I want to, to, to dig into. One thing would clearly be to continue the research that we have started on the biological correlates of parental burnout. So one of our newest papers shows that That you can trace back the level of stress of a parent by taking a strand of hair here at the posterior vertex of the scalp. And so you can can go back up to three months um, in the past. And so we've shown that burned out parents have a level, uh, their level of cortisol, of hair cortisol, is twice as high as uh, demographically matched control parents. And this level, is even higher than patients suffering from chronic severe pain. So wow. this gives you a sense of the intense suffering that uh, burnout parents are trapped into. Can you imagine a yeah. level of cortisol that is higher than patients suffering from severe chronic pain? So this means that even if parental burnout is partially the result of the result of perception, it 's an embodied phenomenon. It, it damages your your body. I definitely want to know more about this. so this is one thing I would like to go deeper into. and another thing I would like to go deeper into is the role of perceptions, the, the role that perceptions play into parental burnout, because what our and other researchers' research repeatedly find is that The objective conditions into which parents exert their parenting has very little impact on parental burnout. For instance, the number of children you have, uh, the age of your children, your net household income, the house surface area. You can take a lot of parameters, whether you have a garden or not. And these factors have nearly no impact on parental burnout. They have an impact but very little impact compared to personality, co-parenting, social support factors. And so basically the factors that you can objectify have nearly no impact, and all other factors have an impact. So it it suggests that there is something, some perceptive factors in the middle that buffer or moderate the impact of the parent's circumstances, on parental burnout and I definitely want to know more about it
0: so it's all about making meaning of it and not so much it's, it's almost like it's not what happens to you like the external aspects of your life but what you make of it in terms of like it's not how many kids you have whether or not you had twins whether your children are you know a certain amount of children under a certain age, it's not, that's not the issue here. The issue here is, you know, whether you're married to a surgeon or, you know, or whether you don't have a co-parent at all, it's more about what you make of those circumstances and the relationship with your co-parent, right? Not necessarily. exactly. Wow. It's exactly that. You know what else I'm thinking of when you're saying about the hair cortisol, if it, the analogy would be, um, you know, the kind of pain you're in at like the end stages of labor, so that means that that people with parental burnout are walking around in the kind of psychological pain that the physical pain of labor would be. You know, we're in labor for a while, then we have the baby, then we recover. We expect that like, I don't know, the first month after childbirth, we're going to be physically weak and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And here, and it's from a psychological level, like from like a neurobiological level, you're in that kind of pain psychologically and walking around and expecting to cope because your baby's six years old, not a newborn, you know, that's. Yeah that's horrible. Like walking around in that level of, you know, just exhaustion. And I mean, I remember my early years parenting and definitely, especially I did have very small children, um, very close in age. And I remember having that, that sensation of just like being in a fog all the time. But I was lucky that I did have a lot of social support and I did have a very fulfilling career, which I think helped. And I had a lot of so I was also very lucky that I had a mother who was willing to watch my children when I went to school. So a lot of those, you know, a lot of those feelings of like leaving my children with a caregiver were lessened for me. But I just remember walking, I had four children under the age of four. I remember just walking. Oh my God. <laughs> I actually remember um, when I was in graduate school, I attended, and these things are very cultural, right? So I attended a, I attended a lecture on parenting stress and the lecturer was talking about a woman who's, um, you know, her husband's a truck driver, so she travels, he travels a lot, and she has like three children under the age of 10, and, um, you know, what level of stress do you think, and she's coping with them alone, what level of stress do you think this mother is under, and I, and what does this sound like to you, and I remember just raising my hand, just because I wanted to point out this is cultural, and saying, sounds like a vacation, <laughs> like, I had four <laughs> children before, and I was a full-time graduate student at NYU, so, like, you know, but it's, but it was a fog and realizing that, wait, it's exhausting. It's meant to be exhausting. It's okay. It won't be this exhausting forever was very helpful for me. I think being in my own therapy was very helpful for me, right? Like knowing the things you need to do to make a mother for your children is so helpful. But when you don't know that and you think, and you have a lot of shoulds about parenting and you think like, but I should just love it so much that it should replenish me on its own. And I should be like, I don't know, overjoyed to wake up to a screaming baby at two in the morning. Yeah. That's, that's gonna, That's a big load for a parent to hold on to. I come from a clinical world where, like, I hear mothers talk all the time, and I and I hear their stories, and I help them both parent, but also accept themselves as parents. And it's very, very difficult when you have all
2: these shoulds and these shoulds and these shoulds. Exactly. It's. It's. Yeah, parent put so much burden on themselves. But this is also very cultural, because we have just finished the data collection of a huge worldwide study on parental burnout with 40 countries involved, scattered on all the planets, basically. And what we find is that parental burnout is a very occidental uh, disorder. So in countries like Occidental Europe, the US, the UK... There is between five and ten percent of parents that are in parental burnout. When, as we speak, so this is the point prevalence. And in Africa, where many mothers raise like seven, eight children, you know, they they don't necessarily receive the help of their husband, and there is n- nearly no parental burnout, less than one percent. But of course, the whole village is helping. But they don't have all these shoulds that we, Occidental parents, with all these positive parenting stuff, you know, all these things that we have, all these recommendations that we receive regarding how to be the best parent. The culture puts pressure on parents and who, in turn, put pressure on themselves. Right right? It's toxic positivity, right?
0: All that stuff about how you can mold your child's future and your relationship with your child is the most important thing. Those things are true, but like too much of anything is toxic, right? Exactly. And like, it's just, it's just so unsafe for parents to have that pressure on themselves, that it has to be this way. And that, you know, that you, and that sense that you're always failing your children, because I think social media, a lot of times contributes to it because there's always better that we could be doing in any domain. Like you serve your kids a balanced meal. Your friend serves, you know, organic eggs that she raised the chickens herself. You know what I mean? Your kid takes, you know, you know, swimming lessons and your friend's kid takes ballet and introductory French and Chinese. It just, there's never. There's never. I can. I can do. If I'm competitive, I can do better. And I think comp- competition in parenting is another big problem. But if I'm competitive, I can compete with any one person's best, and I can say, okay, she does that. I can do that better. But I can't compete with a hundred different people's best. Exactly. Exactly. This is so true. And <laughs> that I think is the worst. And I think there is that competitiveness, and sometimes there's that like you know that that sharing thing that happens like on on Instagram and Facebook and places like that where like. People are showing off that gorgeous lunchbox that they made their kids, but you can't make the gorgeous lunchbox for the kids and the gorgeous braids for your kid and the 15 extracurriculars and have the perfectly organized home and, you know, and then, you know, I don't know, take care of yourself as well, you know, all before 7 a.m. Like, it just, it can't happen. You got to pick one or the other. And if you do all those things, are you leaving
2: time to be spontaneous and joyful with your kids? You know? Exactly. No, that's so true. But most people forget that everyone is posting the best of its parenting on the social network. And indeed, that, as you said, everyone is, is posting its best, but in the domain where he or she is the best. Right. So, and we, we cannot be the best in every domain. So. <laughs> And if we're not, as
0: as Winnicott says, it's it's better, right? Like if you've had that experience of going to school and not having the cute lunchbox and, you know, liking it, maybe that's going to make him grow up to be a chef. Maybe he's going to have so much interest in it that that's going to spark his interest. And you can't know. I feel like the more I study as a psychologist, you know, the more I study parenting and the more I study child development, the more I know is. We really don't know what the key factors are always. Sometimes the thing we think that is bad is the thing that is actually good. I say this with post-traumatic parenting. Um, I always joke mm-hmm. that, you know I need to you know I had a lot of traumas growing up, but I, I always joke that one of the things I really need to do is send flowers. When I was in elementary school, I was very badly bullied by a classmate. I always say, I need to send her flowers because I became an anti-bullying educator and my whole career, the whole beginning of my career was founded on teaching kids how to stand up to bullies and teaching shy kids confidence. If not for her, I never would have had that career path. Like I need to send her flowers, right? Like I owe her appreciation. So we don't know with our kids, the thing that we don't do, okay, so we didn't provide those gorgeous braids or whatever, or my kid didn't take ballet. Maybe that's going to spark an interest in dance that will end up becoming a career because I didn't do it, right? Exactly. (laughs) It's It's just not. And nobody, I think people, you know, parents don't understand that. One of the reasons why I also like to talk to researchers is because I like to point out to people that there is a question in research and there's a questioner. So I'd love to ask you, like, what was the origin of your
2: interest in this? Like, how did you even know to define the construct? Well, uh, the origin of the thing was very basic. I was, um, so one of, I was a specialist in stress and emotional competence, and I had a colleague who was a specialist in parenting. And because I was a specialist in stress and emotional competence, I had a PhD student who was studying stress in the, basically, perinatal stress. And uh, that colleague who was a specialist in parenting, Isabel Hoskem, she noticed that, that there were in the department several PhD students working on parenting, but with supervisors that were not speciali- specialized in parenting. And so she said, well, it would be nice to put all these PhD students together. And so she set up a seminar. And then she kindly offered to the promoters to join. And many promoters did not join. But at the time, I, um, I became a module. And so I was interested to learn more about printing. So I attended this seminar, who lasted for several years, actually. And so at one point in time, we decided to make a book out of all these various contributions. And these were so diverse because all these PhD students were working on very different things that it was very hard to find a title for the book. And so the only title that could work was Stress and Challenges of Printing. And then I told her, because I worked on job burnout in the past, and I told her, as a mother, I realized that printing is a lot of stress in the work domain. Too much stress leads to, to job burnout do you have a concept like parental burnout in the parenting domain? And she was really surprised. And she said, I've never heard about that. And uh, the same day at night, I was uh, thinking about this in my bed. And I was like, but I mean, parenting stress is not essentially different from job stress. I mean, of course, it comes from another domain, but why couldn't parent a burnout? And so at midnight, I woke up Uh, went on my computer and searched searched for research on parental burnout. And I noticed that there had been only three studies about parent burnout in parents of severely ill children. So like children who had uh, undergone um, transplantation, uh, children with brain tumor. And I was like, this is interesting, but one need not have a severely ill child to, go, <laughs> to undergo parental burnout. And so that was a kind of illumination. I wanted to know if like normal, uh, parents of normal children. Yeah, normal parenting stress, right. Exactly. And so, and that's how everything began because I told her, are you interested in looking at this with me? And she said, yeah, sure. That's fascinating. And so the first study showed that they were indeed parents who were experiencing uh, severe exhaustion in the printing domain and not in the work domain. And so this suggested that one could be exhausted in one domain and not in the other and vice versa. And so, and then we were so excited about that that we we continued researching this. So it sounds like it's almost like you were like frustrated because you were
0: looking for resources on this. You wanted to read about it and then wait, it's not there. This is the research that I am going to do because it's not exactly going to find out. Right. Exactly. Right. I had a similar thing with post-traumatic parenting where people would come up to me after parenting classes, which were not about post-traumatic parenting. Right. It would be about, I, 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 separate my parenting classes into types of children so like parenting a shy child parenting an explosive child right we have different types parenting a kid who was bullied so we have a whole bunch of different classes and people would come up after class and they would say i don't think i can be a mother because of these experiences i had in childhood or my child when i hear that my child is a bully and i was bullied i can't i can't relate to my child the same way because of my history and i started looking for you know resources on post traumatic parenting and there's very little there's a little bit about Parents who had been formerly incarcerated and like their ideation around parenting because of their previous incarceration, mostly mothers, you know, there are a few isolated studies, but nobody has really paid attention to what being a post-traumatic survivor is like in parenting. Um, so that was where I started like, okay, I'm going to do this research. I'm going to start this. I'm going to like develop a, a community of parents who have experiences because the literature just wasn't there. And I think for parents, it's important to know, especially for post-traumatic parents, it's important to know that anything we say we know from the research, right? Like people will sometimes post on Instagram, like research shows if you don't play with your children a certain amount of minutes a day, then it's detrimental for their outcome. Sure, that there's research that might show that and we might statistically be able to demonstrate that. But there was also a researcher who was framing a particular question that, and the question wasn't, playing with your children, but then it's going to burn you out versus taking a walk with children that won't burn you out, right? That wasn't the question. The question was, you know, for example, I don't know, is, I don't know, playing, pu- doing puzzles with children, does that help with, is that associated with certain levels of IQ or whatever? Probably a Piagetian study and probably having to do with developmental psychology. Not prescriptive, just descriptive, but parents use that to beat themselves up with exactly. because they don't to relate to the research. So I always like to ask, you know, there's a research and then there's a researcher who discovered something. I don't think it's an accident that you were a mother and probably some of those graduate students were also parents, right? And they were, you know, as parents saying, hey, what's this phenomenon that's happening to us? What's parenting stress about? They wanted to know because it was their very own question as parents and as researchers, they said, well, we have the tools to find out. Exactly. I just find that so interesting that people don't know how to relate to research that way. Research is just a researcher asking a question and then answering their own specific question, not generalized truths about the universe. Exactly. That's so true. <laughs> and to me, it's just like an interesting thing. Because as a PhD, I sometimes will look at something like that and be like, oh, oh, I didn't do that. Oh, bad mommy. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's just <Yeah. laughs> so funny. It, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean what it what it what you think it means, right? My last question that I have for you is. We at Post Traumatic Parenting like to talk to people about experiences of post traumatic growth. Did you ever have a setback in your life or something that happened to you that led to either personal or professional
2: gain? Well, yeah, I, I saw that question, so it's <coughs> it is it's indeed a, a very personal question. But well, I I would say that I I have been raised by a mother with um, mental issues, and. So I I can definitely say that I'm a very different mother because of that. So, of course, I tried to be a a different mother, uh, the mother that I would have wanted to be, that I would have wanted to have. So this is probably good for my daughter. But at the same time, as I said, when you want to be that perfect parent or that parent that you have not had, you also put yourself at risk which I did, and I burned out. And from that burnout, I also learned to to accept that, in fact, of course, I will probably never be like my mother, but I will never be a perfect mother either. So I have to accept that I have my own failings and imperfections. Uh, so I'm on my journey to accept that. I, I cannot say that I have fully accepted it, but... I'm working on it. And probably at the end of my journey, I will be a more reasonable parent, accepting both one's qualities and one's weaknesses. I think that's the journey for all of us,
0: right? Is that like that desire to do it better, but at the same token, like that at the same token, acknowledging that we're never going to be perfect. And that is a very scary thought that we're never going to be perfect, right? Because like, we're exactly. only, like I'm the only mother my children will have. So, you know, it is scary to say, wait, I can't do it perfectly. But then on the other hand, I think that desire to do it perfectly with tempered with the realization that we won't is golden for our kids, right? Like that ability to sort of laugh at ourselves and like be able to stay like, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm not a perfect mother. Like is totally, it's totally, I remember like just recently I have, a, my youngest child is three and a half years old. She's a very verbal child. And at one point, and you could tell she's the child of a psychologist, because at one point she was mad because she couldn't find a certain toy that she wanted. And she wanted me to find it for her. And totally copying her older teenage sister, she looks at the shelf and she can't find her toy. And she says to me, this house is dysfunctional. <laughs> 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 how do you even know that word? dysfunctional. <laughs> like, everything is broken today. You can't find anything. <laughs> and I said, you know, it was her toy that she was supposed to put in, put away wrongly. And That's fine. But, you know, just like right away laughing that like for a second that hurt. And then I was like, wait a minute, like, kid, I have other qualities. <laughs> Keeping track real <laughs> pieces is not one of them, you know, but like, our kids know almost like that weakness or that like place where they can like try to, you know, but it was just so funny the way she said it. And like, you know, and she asked, what's dysfunctional? Broken did I was like, our house is broken. Dead. I can't find my toy. <laughs> like well, I'm not, not going to look for your toy. You're going to have to, you know, put your toys away if you want to be able to find them the next day. But that feeling of like, she's right. I should have cleaned the toys up better. Like automatically happened, you know? Um, It's so true that, and I think, but it's also true that what you went through with your mother was transformative for you, right? Like that's what led you ultimately down this path that's educating millions of women, right? Like that, the fact that my parental burnout article got double digit amount of clicks in one night, right? It was just a blog post that I wrote. Like I didn't write this major academic piece. I wrote a blog post kind of like, let's bring everyone's attention to this. And I called it the burnout we can't talk about because There's such shame about talking about parental burnout, but, you know, it had double digit clicks by the next morning. I woke up in the morning. I was like, whoa, okay, clearly people want to hear about this. Like, clearly this is something that like, whoa, and this was before COVID. So what you're doing with your research, and I find that with every experience of post-traumatic growth, it always becomes transformative. And that's how we change the world. You know, it's those truths, those hard won truths. That's in the end, how we change the world. Like this research you're doing is changing the world. This like, oh, and parental burnout, I think was something that I always sort of, like you're saying, I had a sense that a parent could burn out because you could burn out as a teacher, you could burn out as, a, as an employee. Why not burn out as a parent? In fact, for sure, you have those shifting standards for success. You never quite know if you're meeting criteria. You have, you know, so to speak, a boss who's always changing his, you know, demands on you. If you want to burn your employees out, that's how you do it. Like think exactly. about parenting a teenager, right? It's like shifting standards for success, always different demands, is always the new thing. Even when you do it right, it's like, oh, mommy, you don't get it, right? Like there's always like, <laughs> yeah, it's a thing for it has to be. Yeah. But mothers need to know this, that, that it's okay if they burn out. It's okay to seek out help. It's okay to say to their medical doctor, like, I'm not
2: depressed. I'm, I think I'm burned out right exactly and yeah they, they need to know that burnout is something that we that you recover from and i think that's important because when you are in the middle of the, the in the darkness you forget that this is something you will eventually get through or i i don't know how to say because of course, parental burnout leads to negative consequences for the children, but it also leads to very negative consequences for the parent. We spoke about cortisol, but we did not speak about suicidal ideation. One of the major consequences of parental burnout is suicidal ideation. Much more, uh, these are much more prevalent and much more intense than in job burnout or even in depression. And it's a criteria for diagnosing depression. But when you compare the frequency and the intensity of suicidal ideation between depressed people and burnout parents, yeah, they are so higher in uh, burnout parents. And this is normal because you cannot resign from your parenting role. You cannot, you cannot take a leave uh, <laughs> from your children. So
0: Yeah, you can do yeah. a job without a much moral, you know, without much moral, I guess, self-judgment and judgment from others. You can say, okay, this job is burning me out. I can no longer do it. You can't do that with parenting, right? I mean, that would exactly. tremendous societal censure and
2: tremendous consequences. And parents, when they are trapped in this situation and, these, and in these uh, suicidal thoughts, they forget that parental burnout is something that you can recover from. So that's a very important message to, to tell your audience. Uh, this is a very bad disorder, but you, you can recover from it, from it. But for that, you need to speak about it and get help. Yes. And I think that parents,
0: just knowing, you're right, that there's a dedicated treatment. Like there are things that we can actually fix about parental burnout. We can can support you more. We can help you get more breaks. We can take some of the, you know, some of the physical and mental load off of you. Like there are things we can do. I don't know if we can directly target detachment the way we can directly target inefficacy. Like we can make you feel like a more effective parent. Like there are things we can do about that. We can definitely target exhaustion, right? Depression treatment is not really, it's going to be a waste of resources. That's not really going to target what you're actually experiencing. But if you get the right help for parental burnout, it's going to get better. Like this is a condition that has an end. It has an ideology. It has an end. Exactly. And that's so important to remind parents. Right. That it's not global. You're not just a bad mother. You're not just a bad father. You're not just a terrible person. You are somebody experiencing an actual condition and that condition can be cured. I think it takes away from the moral domain entirely. Exactly. Which is such yeah. a huge contribution because I think I think it was never known. It's kind of like I remember reading a book about um, adult ADHD, and the title was "You mean I'm not lazy, crazy, or stupid, right?" When you think of yourself as lazy, crazy, and stupid, then okay, then you're just there's moral judgments, right? When it's like, no, you have a condition known as ADHD. There is a treatment. There is an etiology. There's something you can do. There's something you can. There's an end. There's a there's a way through it. There's better and worse. Practices. Exactly. It's a whole different feeling. Like I'm a bad mother because I feel burned out for my kids. is very different than I have a condition known as parental burnout. It can be treated. And it says nothing about my worth as a parent or as a person.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's so true. Thank you for putting the right words into my mouth. I apologize for my terrible English. Oh my God. So frustrating to have this output problem. (laughs) Your English is so much better than my French. Five
0: years of French and I can probably just about say, do you want to buy an ostrich egg or something? (laughs) I really appreciated it. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, I'll definitely send you the links to the podcast episode and, the, you know, I'll probably write it up on the blog because I see there's so much interest from everybody that I'm going to keep writing about parental burnout. Great. Super. Thank you so much. much. Have a nice day. I'm here on social media to be descriptive, not prescriptive. I'm here to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain, but never to treat. If listening to this podcast helps you realize that you need therapy, I am all for that. But podcasts aren't therapy. Please reach out to a mental health professional licensed in your jurisdiction. You'll be glad you did. Wish post-traumatic parenting was a talk show, not a podcast? You have a question for me or for my guests? great news. You can ask those questions by following me on Instagram. My handle is at Dr. Kozlowitz Psychology. It's also in the show notes. I love it when people reach out, DM, or post a question. Who knows? Your question might spark an entire episode. Come join our community. We get it. We're post-traumatic parents too. Can't wait to hear from you.